0: We heard that story of Jesus, and even if we didn't see the whole picture, we embraced it, and we said we believe Jesus is the King. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He rules and reigns at God's right hand, and and then we were baptized and we embraced the gospel truth. And so there's where you could say, yes, baptism is a is a matter of obeying the gospel. So we're embracing this good news story to say God rules and reigns through Jesus.
1: Welcome to the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast. I'm Travis Polly, and here we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. Each week I visit with Wes McAdams, minister and author, and together we explore biblical passages and topics. I hope you enjoy this study.
0: Okay, Travis, so our habit is beginning to form of starting this podcast by asking you a question, <laughs> by putting you on the spot. Yeah. Um, and you said yesterday to me, you said, I like being surprised by what we're talking about. I, I do. You don't know. Well, I told you about five seconds ago what we're talking about yes. today. But up until that time, you didn't know what we were talking about. So... It wasn't enough time for me to Google it, <laughs> because that is that is the uh, the concordance of today. That's Absolutely. the theological uh, study book, and every other book is <laughs> That's Google. Right. Yeah, just Google it. That's right. Uh, you know, it, it's funny. Speaking of Google, I don't know if we'll edit this out, but but it is interesting how now with Google they will strip information. So if you Google our phrase today that we're going to talk about is gospel. So if you Google what is the gospel, it might very well strip. Um, a definition out of a website oh, yeah. and put it on the Google search results mm-hmm. page so you don't have to click to go to that. But I found that that, that can be rather deceiving because it it doesn't consider the context. No. And you know me, I'm all about context. So it doesn't consider the context of the website from which it stripped it. Yeah, And so... I would really encourage people if they Google a theological idea, don't take Google's word for it. You might find a good website by Googling, uh, but don't just take whatever Google stripped off of some website and put it out there because you don't know what that person, I mean, who did they take that from? Like, I mean, what what website and what's their theological slant or bias? you know they and they just ripped that up something and then stuck it on their search result page and and you don't know where it came from or what the author was even saying in that right. it may have been a human being that copied and pasted it but it most likely was a bot, you know right. it was just and, and, Google algorithms scraping something off there and they, because they saw something that said the gospel is blank right and so then they put it on there. so be really careful when you Google theological things or I couldn't agree much more anything yeah. but yeah, not to say that it's not a good tool because it, it can be a very good tool so that that brings us to our question what is the gospel? I recently did a um, a blog post series. It was inspired by um, a book that I had just finished reading, Scott McKnight's um, "King Jesus: The King Jesus Gospel." Is that right? I don't know. We'll link. We'll post it in the in the show notes. But um, but anyway, it was it was really good, and it really helped me to solidify some things in my mind. Things that I had been thinking about and wrestling about. Things that you know I probably included in my book, um, uh, "Beyond the Verse." Uh, but but it has really occurred to me that our definition of gospel and the New Testament definition of gospel are two pretty different things. Mm. So I don't necessarily you know, I'm not necessarily asking you, Travis, what your definition is now. Right. But if you just had to if you just had to think, you know, what would the average person say if you said, What's the gospel? If you just asked somebody, a churchgoer, you know, a Christian person, yeah. so what's the gospel? What do you think most people would say.
1: I definitely would have a different answer, like you said, for me now. Um, but I think, in, in in general, what is the gospel is that God came to Earth and that uh, He lived a perfect life and that He offered Himself up as a sacrifice and uh, most importantly of all, He was raised again.
0: Yeah, and and I think that's that that's a legitimate answer. I think that's yeah. I think that's a good answer. What would you say that people would would think is the goal of the gospel like if Mm. if you said you know like what's the point what's the 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 greek word the telos the the, where's this going like what's the point of the gospel what do you think most people would think was the point of the gospel well
1: i know i know where i've come to on that is that you know because we we talked briefly in our last episode on on salvation and baptism how it's not just about getting to heaven. Yeah. It's a it's it's about which I think
0: home. is what most people would say, right? Exactly. Yeah, I think most people would say that that the gospel, the point of the gospel is for my sins to be forgiven so that right. I can go to heaven.
1: That's the good news, right? Right,
0: right. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's exactly. So when when you say what's the good news? The good news to most people It it may like include Jesus, like Jesus coming and Jesus dying, but the good news to most people is that I can get forgiven. Yeah, right. I mean, I think that that's what most people. That's what I always thought. You know, the good news is that I can get forgiven, and then we even tie in phrases like obey the gospel. Yeah, and so Mm. the way that I grew up, if somebody said that person obeyed the gospel. What would you think they meant
1: they got baptized
0: right they got baptized and then we we sort of just like check that off of a list and say okay they obeyed the gospel and we even say it in the past mm. tense like that person has obeyed the gospel and so the way i always and i explained it this way i mean i, I grew up hearing this, and then I became a teacher, a youth minister, a preacher. And so I explained it the way that it was explained to me, that the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus died, he was buried, he was raised. And so the way you obey that is you die to your sins, you're buried in baptism, and you're raised to walk in newness of life. Yeah, And they're tying 1 Corinthians 15 and Romans 6, 1 through 4, tying those things together um, and saying that's obedience to the gospel. Well... I mean, it is, it certainly is obedience to the gospel, but you cannot say, and I have a real problem with us saying, and I'm saying, I'm picking on myself here too, I have a real problem with us saying a person obeyed, past tense, checked it off a list, obeyed the gospel because they got baptized. That's... You're never done obeying the gospel. (laughs) To obey the gospel, and and that phrase is used a couple of times in Scripture, but every time it's used, it's used in like a present tense type of a situation, and it's always actually used in a negative sense. So it talks about at the judgment, Jesus will judge those who have not been, have not been obeying the gospel, have not obeyed the gospel. So in that sense, it's past tense, but right now it's present tense, right? So when, when the judgment happens, he will judge those who have not been obeying the gospel, who have not lived in accordance with, have not embraced and walked in the good news. Right. So when we talk about the good news, yes, it most certainly includes the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Isn't that funny, though? When we say it, we tend to say, and I would have to rewind the podcast to figure out how you said it exactly. Uh, Well, I think you said God, right? You said God came to earth. Yes. And that he died. And that's an interesting way to say it, too. Um, And we tend to say Jesus, or Jesus died for our sins. And, And both of those are true. Jesus is divine. Jesus is God in flesh. Um, the second person of the Trinity. Um, so all of that's true. Um, but the way Paul says it in First Corinthians 15 is Christ. Mm. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And he was buried. And on the third day, he was raised in accordance with the scriptures. Yeah. So it's interesting that, that Paul doesn't say Jesus. Now, is he talking about Jesus? Of course he's talking about Jesus. But he says Christ, which means the anointed one right it means the messiah the messiah died for our sins yeah. in accordance with the scriptures now that's that's slightly different than just saying jesus died for our sins yes the messiah is jesus jesus is the messiah jesus is the christ but what paul is saying is that in accordance with the scriptures so when you hear that phrase when you hear in accordance with the scriptures mm. what what do you think or what do you think most people think when they hear christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures
1: that it's fulfilling something from the Old Testament.
0: Okay, good. And and I think that that's good. I think that maybe we might nuance what we mean by fulfilling something from the Old Testament. I think right. that that's important. But I think maybe the way I read that, I don't know. I, it's hard to know what I thought when I was 18 or something. But I think maybe what I thought when I read that was that you know, in accordance with what Matthew and Mark and Luke and John wrote. Oh yeah, but that's not what um, Paul means. Exactly what you said. He means the Hebrew Scriptures. He means what was the Scriptures to him his entire life. Now, obviously, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and and all of the epistles that Paul wrote, eventually become the 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 collection of inspired writings that that we look at and say well, those are the Scriptures. But anytime Paul talks about the Scriptures. He's speaking about he's speaking about uh, the Hebrew scriptures what we would call the Old Testament right and so he's talking about the scriptures of the law, the the prophets and the writings um, the the Hebrew scriptures And so he says that Jesus, not Jesus, the Christ He says that the Christ this is the good news the good news is that the Messiah and and even that idea has to be unpacked right I mean so, if we just walk up to somebody on the street and say, well, Jesus died for your sins, they say, okay, I, I knew that, or I didn't know that, or they, they draw a conclusion of what that means. What right. does it mean that someone died for my sins? And often I think we, we picture like a courtroom scene, and we're like, okay, so you're guilty and then somebody steps in and he dies for you so that now you're innocent and you can go free and the guilty person took your place, right? So we, we tend to think about it just in those terms. Jesus died for Travis. Jesus died for Wes. Jesus died for Bob. Jesus died for Sally. Um, and, and we tend to think that's the gospel. But, but you have to unpack what Paul means when he says the Messiah died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Yeah. So he's saying that the Hebrew scriptures, and he doesn't like pull out one of them, and I don't think he even means a handful of like predictions. I think that's how we tend to read prophecy; like they're just a bunch of you know, the, there's there's a few what we call messianic prophecies, you know. The, so there's these predictions, and we almost treat it like Nostradamus or something. Right. Like like there's just like this fortune teller told us about, and then yeah, Jesus was that guy, and so we we tend to read it like that. But I think that Paul means when you read through the entirety of the law and the prophets and the writings, when you read through the the entirety of the scriptures, that you know God will rescue his people through an anointed one He will rescue his people and, and I've been thinking a lot about um some of the things that Isaiah said here recently, so uh, this would be a good opportunity to to pull open and and look at a couple passages but in isaiah sixty one and, and this is a passage that Jesus read um in Nazareth he, so he goes to the synagogue and he sits down and he uh, he reads this passage uh to the people sitting there. And I mean, it's an incredibly bold thing for him to say. So um, he reads Isaiah 61 in verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. That's Messiah. So, so to say the Lord has anointed me, he's saying I am the Messiah. I am the anointed one. Messiah right. means anointed one. So I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. The Lord has anointed me with the Spirit. So the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to do what? To bring good news. Mm. The Hebrew word is basar, um, but, but the, the Greek word is euangelion. And so he says, the the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to the anav, to the meek, to the persecuted, to the afflicted. I have come to announce good news. Well, what is that good news? Is it, you know, your sins are forgiven so you can go to heaven? Is that the good news? Well, if you read through Isaiah, I don't think you'd ever get that impression. If you read through Isaiah, it's that Isaiah is saying to God's people, you've sent to Israel, the northern kingdom, and to Judah, the southern kingdom. You've sent, you have been unfaithful to your God, and you're going to be punished. You're going to be taken off into exile. Your cities are going to be destroyed. It's going to be awful. But then God will also judge every kingdom of the earth, and at some point... There's going to be a Messiah, an anointed one, who will announce good news to the the meek who have waited for salvation from God, and cities will be rebuilt, and things will be restored, and there'll be peace, and there'll be prosperity. Why? Because—and he— Isaiah keeps using this idea that God will return to Zion. God will return to his city. God will, re- will return to reign as king. In Isaiah chapter 52, and when he talks about good news, and this is a phrase that Paul uses in Romans 10, he says, this is Isaiah 52 and verse 7, he says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Mm. And that's, for Isaiah, that's the good news. The good news is your God reigns. God has returned to reign as king. God is now in charge of the world. And so when Jesus shows up and he says, The lord has anointed me the spirit of god is upon me because the lord has anointed me to announce or to bring good news to the poor to set free the people that are in bondage you know the rest of isaiah 61 he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our god to comfort all who mourn to grant to those who mourn in zion which if if you're thinking, jesus and you're thinking this you might think about the beatitudes right yeah and so there's there's a lot of similarity you know those who mourn are comforted those who are hungry are satisfied uh to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes the oil of gladness instead of mourning the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit that they may be called oaks of righteousness the planting of the lord that he may be glorified okay so so for isaiah the good news and The good news means your God reigns, that somehow God's reign and rule will be reestablished and that that God and man will will be at peace once again, and that the sin and everything that defiled will be taken away and and there'll be peace and there'll be prosperity. And so this is what the people are waiting for. Right. I mean, so uh, eventually the northern kingdom of Israel falls to Assyria, the southern kingdom of Judah falls to Babylon. And then Babylon falls to the Medes and the Persians. The Persians let them go home, uh, back to Jerusalem, and sort of rebuild. But it's really still not—there's no Messiah. There's no uh, prosperity. There's no peace. There's no year of jubilee. Everybody goes free. It's nothing like that. In fact, when you read Ezra and Nehemiah— at, by the end of the book, they're like pulling out their own hair and pulling out other people's hair and like cursing people and beating yeah. people. And like, why won't you obey the law? Why don't you just, uh, we need, we need a, a change. And so um, th- that's frustrating. And then you have uh, Alexander the Great and the Greeks sort of take over the world. And then you have some Syrian kings, Antiochus Epiphanes. He comes in and he, he essentially outlaws Judaism and says you know if you're circumcised or you have a copy of the torah or you celebrate jewish holidays death penalty you know i mean like so he he enforces well and some jews go along with it and they they sort of become greek um they sort of compromise to save their lives and then others are zealots and you have the maccabean revolt and so you get the maccabees and they overthrow uh the syrian kings and then you have a a while where uh the maccabees and you know jews are in charge once again Uh, but then eventually rome comes in and wipes them out and and they sort of install their puppet king and um and they run the show and so the people of jesus day are waiting for someone to announce the good news announce the good news not not just of like personal salvation like that was never that's never the story the story is the salvation of israel right and then if you're really paying attention then you realize that it's not just the salvation of israel but it's the salvation of the whole world through israel well and
1: i think and you brought up the beatitudes and the Sermon on the mount and i think when you said what is the gospel where i where i now go with that is obviously the foundation is his sacrifice and the salvation brought through that and but more importantly that that is the fu- the fulfillment of the law
0: yeah
1: and that for all these years they had been commanded to when you sin or just day to day you have to sacrifice yeah you have to make sure that that, that blood is spilt. yeah in order to uh, atone for your sins right. And there's all I mean you read through Leviticus and you read through all the rules and 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 it's complicated yeah yeah, yeah. and it was always about you did something, yeah. you make a sacrifice for yeah. it, yeah then Jesus comes along, and in the Sermon on the Mount he starts talking about uh I kind of in my mind the gospel is boiled down to when he talks about you know you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, and I tell you don't lust mm-hmm. he's 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 not just he's saying it's not just about a commandment and if you do it you're toast or you got to go make a sacrifice you got to go through all these hoops to to atone because there is a you do have to atone you have if you want to be right with god you have to something has to be done right but now he's saying there's another way to think yeah fight the battle on a different plane yeah so so when he says you know you've heard it said don't murder i tell you don't hate you're fighting an entirely different battle if you're trying not to hate yeah murder's probably not ever going to be on the table for yeah. you yeah and i think that is the enlightenment of jesus and i think you've seen in in many many ways since jesus the effect that that has had on the world yeah we're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination we still have a lot of problems but the world does not look the same today yeah and i think we've i think we take this for granted sometimes you know, we can kind of look around our world and and get very discouraged, but it's like the world is not the same today as it was before Christ. Yeah, yeah, large, large. I mean, we've gone through some pretty tough periods, mm-hmm. but largely the effect has been, I think, that enlightenment of we're we're fighting a different battle.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think I think you hit on several things there. I think that that on the one hand. They're waiting for a, a day of atonement, and I, I think that that's that's a, a great analogy. That it's not just it's not just like I sin, so I need to make atonement for my sins. Right. They thought more, much more. Th- there is an element of that for sure, um, but they thought much more collectively. And when you listen to the pro- prophets, they they definitely make make it clear that suffering is going to have to happen in order for atonement to happen. Now they may have thought. And and it would be a reasonable conclusion to come to that we're going to have to suffer as a people in order to make atonement for our, our own sins and shortcomings. But but in reality, when you read Isaiah 53, it looks like, if you read the entirety of Isaiah, it looks like the servant that's suffering on behalf of the people and on behalf of the nations, really, uh, that's going to bring about atonement and forgiveness, it looks like the servant is Israel. And so that that Isaiah is just talking about um, the the whole people as the servant of God. Yeah. but when it turns out when Jesus comes along, we realize, oh, the servant was actually a representative of Israel who would be put to death in the people's place and who would make atonement for the people. So there becomes this ultimate day of atonement to which all of the other days of atonement simply pointed forward to. and, And now the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world has come and makes atonement for all the people. And then going forward as the new kingdom of God, what does that look like? What does it look like to be the new kingdom of God? What does it look like to truly live under the rule and the reign of of God through Christ. What does that look like? Well, the Sermon on the Mount is this this picture of what does the kingdom what do kingdom people look like and it's not people like you said it's not people that are checklist people it's not people who live by the letter of the law but who live by the spirit of the law which is exactly what jeremiah and ezekiel said was going to happen was that the spirit of god was going to come on the people and that their hearts and their minds would be changed it wouldn't just be behavior modification it's going to be an internal change And there has been a tremendous effect of the church on the world, that when the church is being the salt and the light of the world, it has made a tremendous difference in the world. I think, though, that as our focus has changed and and we're now sort of in a mentality of, well, we're just just waiting to die so we can go to heaven— Instead of remembering we are the kingdom of God, we are the people—it's more accurate probably to say we are the people of the kingdom of God—we yeah. are the people that have been brought under the rule in the reign of King Jesus, who have brought, been brought under the rule of God through Jesus, our sins have been atoned for, and now as sanctified, made holy people as priests in the world, how do we bring the world to God and bring God to the world? How do, we, how do we shine as light and how do we um, flavor as salt? How do we preserve as salt in the world? And Jesus lays that out, what that looks like and, and, and how the lives that we're supposed to live. And, and oftentimes, though, we're more comfortable simply being religious. You know, we're more comfortable, mm. like going back to your idea of the, of the law um, and, and checking things off of a list and say, yeah. well, I didn't, I didn't kill anybody. I didn't commit adultery. Right. Yeah, but what's your heart look like and what's your mind look like? Have you been set apart and changed? Has your heart of stone been taken out and you've been given a new heart? That's that. So when Paul says that the Christ has died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, he means all of that. He means the new heart the new mind the spirit being poured out he means this ultimate day of salvation he means that god has provided even back to the story of abraham you know abraham is going to sacrifice isaac and isaac says hey you know we got the wood and we got everything for the fire and the altar but uh, uh dad where's the uh where's the lamb you know and and abraham says the lord will provide and that's exactly what he does he provides a lamb in the place or a ram in in the place of of isaac and, and that's exactly what God has done in Christ Jesus, is that the Messiah, the Anointed One, the King, has suffered for his people to bring his people as a gift to bring all of the nations that are made up, or all of his people that are made up of the nations, yeah. every tribe and tongue, not just Jew, but Jew and Gentile alike, bringing us to the Father, reconciling us with God. And now, as people of the kingdom, how do we, how do we live? So, and, and we've already touched on this so I want to I kind of elaborate, unpack this idea of kingdom. I think that that's much more a part of the gospel than we often make it. Like mm-hmm. even back to your original statement, you know, what, what is the gospel? And we talk about, well, Jesus died for us, and you know so we can go to heaven, and, and that kind of thing. And very, very little mention of kingdom. And the way I've grown up thinking is that kingdom simply means the church. Um, and so we've we've simply replaced church with kingdom and use those two words synonymously. Now certainly there's there's a lot of overlap, and that the church is the people of the kingdom. But in New Testament vernacular, uh, kingdom really refers to the rule and the reign of God. And so when Jesus comes announcing the good news, when we read all throughout the gospel accounts, Jesus comes. At, well, even before Jesus, even John the baptizer comes and he's announcing the yeah. good news. But it's always the good news of the. Kingdom, kingdom right yeah. the good news of the kingdom and and Matthew uses a phrase he says the kingdom of heaven and then the other gospel writers usually use the phrase kingdom of god um Dr Ian Fair who's a member here at McDermott Road he often says that that perhaps Matthew because it's written to a Jewish audience and they were very careful about using god in fact Jews to this day if you ever notice maybe you'll see a Jewish person write God, G-O-D. They don't spell it all out. They'll write G dash D. Oh, uh, they're yeah. very careful about um, pronouncing or saying or even writing God. Uh, even though God, that word itself is sort of generic. Um, Yahweh is the name of God, but even that, we we have no vowels, and so we're not even really sure how to pronounce uh, God's name. Or you know, even if we knew how to pronounce it, are you supposed to pronounce it? Like they're very particular about that. So with that in mind, perhaps. In Matthew's gospel account, because it's written to a Jewish audience, they would use kingdom of heaven. That way you're not saying God's name. Mm. You're simply saying the place of God. But it means the same thing. They're synonymous terms. Right. But I'm afraid that when we read kingdom of heaven, we think the place I'm going to go when I die. You know, like we think, you know, the kingdom of heaven is up there, right? The kingdom of heaven is, is, you know, the place I'm going. Whereas what Jesus means is the kingdom of God is that's what that's what's here you know that's the good news the good news is the kingdom of god is at hand it's it's drawing nigh it's drawing near it's right here i'm bringing it i am bringing god's rule and reign i'm bringing heaven's rule and reign so it might be you know to think through like how would that what does that mean i often compare it to you know if somebody in that time period in culture had said the kingdom of caesar you would know what they mean. Or right. if they said the Kingdom of Rome or the Empire of Rome, you'd know what they mean. Right. Th- those synonymous ideas. We're saying Caesar's reign and rule or Rome's reign and rule. We, by Rome, we mean Caesar's. So if somebody said, if, if they were capturing a territory and they were saying, we are bringing the Kingdom of Rome to you, good news. Good news! <laughs> Caesar's now your king. They would say it like right, that, right? <laughs> they would absolutely. They would. In fact, uh, Evangelion, the good news, was used um, to announce um, about about new kings and about the king's birthday, and to say, you know, good news! God has blessed us with this with this great ruler, and and and. Uh, his reign and so if they would bring rome's reign and rule to a new territory they might say it that way you know good news you're being set free from those kings you had before and now rome's rule and reign rome's kingdom rome's empire is coming to you or caesar's rule and reign and, and empire is coming to you so that's what jesus was preaching when jesus went throughout the countryside and he spoke to the people he was echoing isaiah and saying good news I'm, I am the bringer of good news. God has anointed me with the spirit to come and bring good news to the poor, that God's rule and reign is back. God, yeah. God is going to rule and reign over you. And here's what it looks like for God to rule and reign over you. Now, what's interesting, and you pointed this out earlier about uh, what's changed, you know? And on the one hand, I totally agree. I think that, I think that the, the influence of Jesus' people in the world that kingdom people in the world has has changed people, but on the other hand, it, it's legitimate to say, I read through the prophets and I read about this peace and prosperity and this awesome age in which people are going to live when the Messiah rules and reigns, when God rules and reigns through through the Messiah. Right. And I don't see it. You know, like I don't I don't get it. Like, where is it? You know. And, and so, and, and that's a legitimate thing to say, well, mm-hmm. well, if God's in charge of the world, why does it still look like this, right? Why does it still look like this? And Jesus, he actually, I think, deals with this in so many of his kingdom parables, mm. right? Because if you read the prophets, you just expect this is all going to happen at once. The the age of evil and death and sin is going to end like this the podcast listeners can't see me, but I'm drawing a line with my hand. So it's going to end here. And then right at that same mark, then the rule and the reign of peace and life and Messiah is all going to reign. What they didn't expect is for the two to overlap. What they didn't expect is that the kingdom oh, of God is going to break <clears throat> into that light. John speaks about it in terms of light. So that the light is going to break into the darkness. Not that the darkness is just going to end and then there's going to be light, that it's going to be the light that breaks into the darkness. And if you think about the parables that Jesus told, and when he told a parable, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like this, or the kingdom of God is like this. He's yeah. telling you, this is what the kingdom is like. And it's, it's going to be different. It's going to break your categories because your categories say, you know, this kingdom's going to end and this kingdom's going to begin. The kingdom of Rome is going to come crashing down and the kingdom of God is going to take its place and that the two won't overlap. But Jesus says, no, no, no. No, it's more like this. He says it's more like a seed. It's like a tiny little mustard seed, and it's planted in the ground. And and I mean, if you planted a tiny little seed in the ground for a long time, you'd say nothing's changed. It's <laughs> the same. It's the same that it was before. And then even after it sprouts up a little bit, you'd be like, okay, well, okay big deal so what but he says it's going to grow and 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 all the birds of the air are going to come and nest in its branches and so he says that's how the kingdom is going to be it's going to be this tiny seed it's going to be this tiny ray of light that shines into the world and what we're saying when we say good news we're saying god reigns as king even though and we're we're walking by faith We believe that something has changed, that the course of human history and events and the future of the world has been sealed through what Jesus the Messiah has done and is doing, that through his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of God, that God now reigns. God is in charge of the world. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth given to him, and he sits at the Father's right hand, that this is the truth. This is the tr- Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am, I am the life, I am the reality. Everything else is an illusion. I'm reality. Now, it looks foolish, right? I mean, it looks like, well, you Christian people, you're kind of nutty. You know, you think God's in charge of the world, God's not in charge of the world. And then Jesus would say things like, the meek, they're going to inherit the earth the the uh, those that show mercy those that hunger and thirst for righteousness those who are persecuted for righteousness sake these are the blessed people these are the people of the kingdom these are the people that win and you have to embrace that by faith you have to embrace this good news is true whether it feels true or not this good news is true whether it looks true or not even when it looks like the bad right. guys are winning their time is limited their fate is sealed god is victorious and so there's a phrase that theologians use a lot about the kingdom. They say, "Already and not yet." So there's a sense in which the kingdom has already been planted like a seed, uh, but it's not yet reached its culmination. It's not re- yet reached its fulfillment. It's not as big as it's going to be. the The glory of God has not yet filled the whole earth. And so there there is a, a reality that is already, But there is also a reality that's not yet but that we right now embrace it by faith we embrace by faith that the meek and the gentle and the loving and the joyful and the persecuted and the poor that they to them belongs the kingdom and the promises by faith and so that's what the kingdom is made up of is is sermon on the pound people is people that embrace these these truths and so When we we start to understand this is the gospel, the gospel is Jesus announcing that the kingdom is like the seed that's that's growing in the world and that his reign and rule are are coming to fruition. Um, Or he would say that it's like a woman who takes a little leaven and and works, hides it, he, he says, hides it in the dough, and he works it in there. And then before you know it, it's leavened the entire lump. And so he's saying God's God's mm. rule and reign, God's glory is being planted in the world. And and then you and I, we heard that story of Jesus. And even if we didn't see the whole picture, we embraced it. And we yeah. said, we believe Jesus is the King. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he rules and reigns at God's right hand. And, and then we were baptized and we embrace the gospel truth. And so there, there's where you could say, yes, baptism is a is a matter of obeying the gospel. So we're embracing the, this good news story to say God rules and reigns through Jesus. And we're embracing this. And baptism is really like this entering into the it's an invitation that we're accepting to enter into the story. Like we talked about last week. It's it's like Israel passing out of the out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. And we're being delivered into the kingdom of God. Even if even if we look around and we say, I don't see it with my eyes. I don't feel it with my hands. Uh, there's days I don't even feel it in my heart, but I embrace it by faith. I heard this tremendous example yesterday, so I apologize to my friend, because I am an aware this analogy out because it's so good Um, and i need to google it back to googling uh, to make sure that it's true but whether it's true or not it's a tremendous story so that there were these uh pow's in world war ii who were in a nazi uh prison camp and somehow these these american pow's they pieced together a radio out of spare parts and they they made this radio and they could pick up on news that was going on and they heard on the radio somehow that that the, the Nazis had surrendered and that the Allies had, had won had won the war and that the war was over and that that their time in the prison camp was limited. But they got the news three days before the the German soldiers and those in charge of the camp got the news. So the, the Nazis had no idea that that their country had surrendered, but these prisoners knew that their, their country had surrendered. Whoa. So for three days, they knew we've already won. You guys have already lost, the war's already over, you just don't know it yet. And then three days later, they wake up and the camp is empty and the guards have all left and run away. That's, that's what we're saying, is we're wow. saying the war has already been won. God has already claimed victory. The enemies, their fate has been sealed. It just—they just don't know it yet. Their time is limited. The way Revelation puts it is, you know, Satan has been bound. He's, he's in chains, and the day of his destruction is coming. It's inevitable. It's already—it's already sealed. And, and sin and death have already—their their pain, their, their power has already been stripped from them, and, and they're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. It's just a matter of time. And so we are the people who have embraced those realities by faith. We believe, hey, listen, take your best shot because you're already defeated. You just don't know it yet. And so we can live with this meekness and this gentleness because we embrace the, the truth of God's rule and reign by faith, even though we can't yet see it with our eyes. But we believe that one day we'll see it with our eyes. So that takes us back to our original question of like, what is the main goal of the gospel? um what's the the telos what's the what's the finality of the gospel and so you know you in when i asked you you know what what is the gospel what would most people say you you alluded to whether you knew it or not uh first corinthians 15 um death burial and resurrection of jesus and that's what you know my entire life death burial and resurrection of jesus and that's true and that is how paul i would say death burial and resurrection of the messiah but that that is how paul sums it up in the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15. But what Scott McKnight's book helped me to realize is that Paul goes on later in the chapter to really fill out a little bit more about what the gospel is all about. He talks about Jesus was buried, he or Jesus died, he was buried, the, the Messiah was buried, he was raised from the dead, um, then he was seen by all of these people. And of course, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 is going to go on to talk about the resurrection being the core of the Christian faith. Um, but... But he he goes on to say things about the kingdom that I don't think sometimes we take into consideration. So this is from 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 20. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So in other words, the resurrection has already begun. And it's weird because they expected a resurrection at the end of time. Right. But what happened was, There was a resurrection, and not just a resuscitation, right? Not just a... They were out for a couple minutes. Right, yeah, exactly. Not that. Not they're going to be raised just to die again, right? Right. So like Lazarus was raised, but he would die again. He he wasn't transformed into an immortal person, uh, an immortal human being, but Jesus was. They expected that was going to happen. The Jewish people expected that was going to happen to all of God's people, that there was going to be this resurrection and that they would be immortal and they would they would no longer uh, be slaves to sin and death and that they, they would live forever. But they didn't expect someone, for that to happen to someone right in the middle of the reign of of sin and death right in the middle of the darkness the light would break forth and that's exactly what jesus says and so paul says it's he's the first fruits and i always think about like a tomato like if you go out to the garden and you pick a tomato and it's big red and juicy you don't think well that's nice but i doubt this garden will ever produce anything else like that (laughs) i mean you don't think that what do you think you think there's more to come, more right? More to come. This is just evidence yeah. of what's coming in the future. And so Paul says that that's the way it is with Jesus. His resurrection is a foretaste of what's coming. This is the proof that the resurrection has already begun, that God will keep his promises and that he will raise, uh, raise his people from the dead. He says, For as by a man came death, by a man uh, has all—or sorry, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so as all— so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the Messiah, the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to the Christ. Then, then comes the end when Christ, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every, ruler, every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death for god has put all things in subjection under his feet under the messiah's feet for but when it says all things are put in subjection it's plain that he is expected uh, that he is accepted who who put all things in subjection under him in other words when when the scripture tells us that the messiah will have all things put under his feet Obviously, the exception to that is God himself. God isn't put under the Messiah's feet. Everything else is put under the Messiah's feet. Everything else is made subjection, subject to him, but not God the Father. And so he says the Father isn't made subject uh, to him. Uh, let's see. It says in verse 28, When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Now that, that is the end goal of the gospel. We never say that. I've never heard anybody, like if I was just to ask them, what's the goal of the gospel? I've never heard anybody say that God be all in all, Mm. that God reigns supreme over all, that God have everything under his rule and reign. And, And we might say, well, you know, doesn't God have everything under his rule and reign now? Well, yes and no. I mean, god is supreme yes there's a sense in which that's true but obviously there's a lot of things that are in rebellion to the will of god a lot of things in nature in humanity in what we do god doesn't want people dying death is an enemy of god god doesn't want these things to happen these things are in rebellion to god's rule and reign when god rules and reigns over everything it is the garden. It's the garden. It's everything is in harmony. Everything is at peace. There is peace and prosperity and blessing. This is what it looks like for God to rule over all things. And when we look at the world today, yes, we see so much good and we see so many good things. And that's always been true to a certain extent. Um, I always say it's, it's almost like there's a song that's being played that's just slightly off key. You know, you look at a sunset, or you look at uh, a beautiful mountain range, or you hold a newborn baby, and it's like, yes, there's so much right. And then you think, but this baby's going to grow up, and then they're going to make really bad choices, and they're going to hurt, and people are going to hurt them, and eventually they're going to die. And there's this this looming darkness around everything. You know, it's like there's so much good, but yet at the same time, there's so much pain and so much hurt. And so it's obvious that All things are not subject to God. All things are not brought under his rule and reign yet, but they will be. And that's the end goal of the gospel. Good news. God is in charge. And you say, well, is he, though? I mean, because things are still broken. And Jesus says, yes, he's in charge. And it started as a seed and it's growing and it's growing and it's growing well why doesn't god just wipe out all the evil well because you're tied up with the evil and he doesn't want to wipe you out with it he Hmm. wants you to be changed and transformed and sanctified and redeemed so that now you can be a part of god's rule and reign not just in the future but right now you can be a part of god's rule and reign now so that when all the enemies are subject to Christ and then Christ subjects himself and all things to the father and God rules and reigns over all things and that God is all in all, you will enjoy the blessings of that harmony and peace because those that are tied to the evil and that refuse to repent of that and disconnect themselves and be forgiven and live in obedience to the good news and embrace the good news, they'll be swept up with the evil and they'll be thrown into the lake of fire as well. And so, When we embrace the good news, we say, I want to live under God's rule and reign now in anticipation of what it's going to be like when God rules and reigns over all things and all things are made subject to him and God is all in all. That's the goal of the gospel. That's what Jesus means when he says, good news, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is here. And we say, I embrace that truth right now. Even though it may not look like God rules and reigns, I believe that he does by faith, and I believe that eventually all things will be put under his feet, all things will be put in subjection to him, and that God will be all in all. amen to that Any thought
1: well, you answered a question I had that you know why why does he continue to let it go on mm-hmm. um, and as I was preparing to ask that, I thought of a million reasons why and then but i think i think you answered it um uh, i think you crystallized it perfectly that um he doesn't he wants time he wants time for more people to come to him yeah and so if anything it's like you know yeah this life has a lot of suffering and a lot of darkness but it's like we can endure you know yeah that's the you know that's uh, that's a confidence in the kingdom. That's a right. confidence in in the good news and yeah. in what Christ came to do, and that's like, yeah, I can take this. Yeah. I can take whatever is thrown at me yeah. in order to in order that more might be saved.
0: Yeah, you know? and that's exact. that phrase, even I mean, that's exactly how Peter puts it. He he says, listen, God isn't slow as some count slowness. You know, he, his patience. Yeah means your salvation. Yeah. He wants all people to come to a knowledge of the truth and to be set free from, from sin and death. That's what he desires, and so that's why he's waiting. In fact, I had an atheist on, uh, or agnostic, I'm not sure how he would classify himself, uh, but he, he often comments, he may be listening today, I don't know, but um, you know, he often comments on radically Christian stuff, mm-hmm. and, and I appreciate his comments, but he asked the other day, how long do we have to wait for God to subject all enemies under his foot before we call him a failed God. Hmm. And and that's that's exactly what Peter says will happen. Peter says, listen, you know, as you embrace this by faith and you announce it to people, people are going to say, yeah, well, why doesn't he show up? Why Why doesn't he do this? Because he wants you to be saved, because he wants you to embrace it now. He wants your tongue to confess and your knee to bow to King Jesus now so that when he shows up, to deal with the evil and to sweep away all the things that are in rebellion to him and to bring all things in subjection to him, that you're not caught up with that. And even if that means that in our waiting we die, so what? Our body dies and then we'll be raised with a new body, transformed to be immortal and imperishable and live forever with him. So what difference does it make so we don't have to fear that we wait so long we die? And I think maybe that's been, you know, that was some of the early Christians. Maybe that's what they thought, you know, like, well, what if we die before he comes back? And Paul addresses that to the letter to the Thessalonicans, or to Thessalonica, and he says that, listen, you know, those that have fallen asleep, they will be raised and we'll meet the Lord in the air and welcome him. Um, And so he says, you don't have to worry about them. You don't have to mourn as those who have no hope. Uh, There is no waiting too long. God will keep his promises. God will be all in all. All things will be made subject to him. Jesus is, Ephesians 1 and verse 10, Jesus is uniting all things in heaven and on earth. I want to thank my church family, the Church of Christ on McDermott Road, and our editor, Travis Pauley, for making this podcast possible. And thank you for listening. If you haven't already done so, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. I also want to invite you to check out Logos Bible Software, who has partnered with us to give our listeners a great discount. Just go to radicallychristian.com slash Logos, L-O-G-O-S. I think you'll love the software and you'll get a great discount by using that link. As always, I love you, God loves you, and I hope you have a wonderful day.